The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. Being shut in gives some of us a way to reconnect with our past. Initially, the only competition was for board games, and uh, we moved to the forefront very quickly. I would say by the year uh, 1966 67, it became the number one game. That's Hal Richmond, the creator of Stratomatic Baseball, a game ahead of its time and doing its best now to keep up with the times. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Hal Richmond and the current research director of Stratomatic. John Garcia joined us to talk about being part of a sabermetric wave before anyone knew what to call it, and how a game like Stratomatic seeks to use modern technology to stay relevant in a competitive sports gaming space. I really wonder what Hal Richmond would have thought of robotic umpiring. Hannah Kaiser will join us later to tell us where that is now that a baseball season's on hold. But first, the future is now with how teams are using tech to get ready for the season, if there is a season. So as of this date, we have heard 8 million different plans to get baseball's 2020 season started, and none are set in stone yet, but there's a lot of ideas out there. Meantime, teams have to figure out a way to be ready when the season does begin, if we're going to be optimistic that it will. Andrew Baggerly joins us now from The Athletic. Hey, Andrew, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Uh, Let's talk about the Giants. Um, How are they approaching staying in shape mentally and physically as we hope for a baseball season this summer? Well, I think it sort of runs the gamut. And and, and really, it depends on just what where people are, where they're sheltering in place, what they have access to. I mean, there are some people who, you know, own their own facility or, or have their own uh, you know, pretty deluxe home gym or, or they, you know, know somebody who has a hitting facility that obviously is a non-essential business can't be open to the public. So they're able to get in, uh, um, you know, a little more uh, work with the facilities they have. There are other people like Mauricio Dubon, their uh, uh, young uh, infielder, uh, he's with his girlfriend in a high-rise apartment in Miami, and he had put up a bunch of netting, and he's turned his balcony into a little tiny, narrow batting cage. Uh, so people are, are, are having to get more creative in some areas than others. Um, you know, and some guys are using the virtual reality uh, to try to you know simulate whatever they can simulate, because some of this is 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 just going to be, hey, what skills can I you know, try to retain through this? Um, you know, so I can be ready for an opening day that, that is still uncertain. Well, I, I think the, the real question here is we're talking about the highest echelon of the sport is baseball riding a bike that when they get back out on the field, that even if they've missed some time, that it'll come back. Right. Isn't it muscle memory? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is uh, the swing uh, is, is a lot of muscle memory. Um, even, you know, talking to some of the Giants uh, hitting coaches, 
you know, they think that even when guys were working on sort of overhauling an approach in spring training, um, those things should, should be kind of sticky. Um, the, the, the skills that, that can get away from you are pitch recognition, um, you know, plate discipline, uh, timing, you know, those kinds of things. And I mean, there, there's, it's just really, really hard for hitters, uh, to train for that without seeing velocity, without seeing, um, you know, the actual ball out of the pitcher's hand. Um, you know, pitchers can, can throw all day into a net or against a wall or whatever and, and maintain some semblance of, of being in game shape. Uh, but it's, it's hitters being able to simulate all of those things that, that, that make up the decision in that fraction of the second of whether I swing or not. Um, you know, that, that, that's the hardest thing, I think, uh, and that's what people are puzzling through. And really, that's, that's something in terms of training uh, that's been a focus within the sport already is how can we replicate uh, these game reps uh, so we can get more of them and get players um, uh, to sort of develop those skills even faster. Well, that brings us back to VR, which you wrote a piece about um, in The Athletic. Um, let me ask a couple parts of this. One, how much were the Giants utilizing it before the pandemic, and how are they utilizing it now as a substitute for real-life training? Yeah, so they were they were into it uh, with the, the Win Reality program, and um, I think they had considered a wider rollout um, of you know the, the goggles with the computer backpack, and you put up the two uh, little um, sort of posts with the two sensors on it, uh, and, and obviously it's not going to be like a, a you know perfect video game where you can see a result and realize, hey, you know, based on the way I swung the bat, I that would have been a double to the gap, or that would have had an exit velocity of you know 102 miles an hour or whatever. But you know the fact that they can you know load up. Uh, video that's very realistic of any pitcher with all the different pitches that they throw and put it in the background of any ballpark. Like talking to Mikey Stremski of the Giants, uh, he said, I face Max Scherzer a whole heck of a lot. And, and he's really, really tough. But I really like when I can, you know, recognize a pitch out of the hand or I can feel like I have some semblance of timing. Uh, you know, who knows if that's going to translate, uh, but it's, it's better than nothing right now. And, um, you know, I think the, the Giants uh, were considering a wider rollout to try to send this stuff to everybody. Um, uh, you know, Stremski's doing it in his backyard in Nashville, Tennessee, he takes off his goggles and he's no longer at Nationals Park. He's, he's in Nashville, but, um, you know, it, it is pretty expensive and, and obviously teams aren't pulling in any revenue right now. Uh, so, you know, for the guys who can afford it or have it as part of their training, it's, it's one of those things that, that can only help. All right, I'll let you go with this. Um, I like asking everybody who's involved in the sport what they think. Um, right now, today, I guess, when does the season start, and what does it look like? Where is it taking place? Well, I wish I were that smart. Um, you know, I, I just think uh, we, we are always dealing with new information. This whole thing is just uh, uh, moving goalposts. It's been that way ever since you know the, the middle of March when we realized that, that this thing was going to become a pandemic. Um, you know, I, I do think that once there's more uh, of a, a rollout of testing uh, to where it, it isn't a bad look for baseball to be using uh, all of these tests every day on players uh, because they're not available uh, elsewhere uh, with, with, with people who are healthcare workers, et cetera. Um, I, I think that's going to be a big key. Um, I don't think you're going to see players be quarantined in hotels like they were talking about earlier. Um, it, it sounds like they're, they're thinking that maybe something could could happen around the beginning of, of July with a couple weeks of sort of a quasi spring training before that. Um, I, I do think that there is enough incentive and enough political pressure, um, and enough uh, monetary uh, ambitions uh, 
on both sides uh, to try to find a way to rescue this season. And you know what? They're going to be watching Korea very, very closely to see how that rollout goes because if players start testing positive and they have to shut it down again, then I think that's going to you know, deal a, a big blow to, to people's hopes. But, but I think that the general feeling now is that there is an imperative to get baseball going, and if they can do so safely and responsibly, they're going to do it. Andrew Baggerly of The Athletic, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Up next, Hal Richmond, creator of Stratomatic on creating one of the greatest sports games ever. This is the Future Sport Podcast. So we're in the era of social distancing, and if you are looking for something to do and to kill some time, and particularly connect with sports as we wait for them to come back, there is an age-old game that is available to you that has been modernized, Stratomatic Baseball. And truth be told, 10-year-old me would be doing that all day, every day in this time of social distancing, and 47-year-old me is thinking about it again as we try to fill that time and fill the void. We're very pleased to have the creator of Stratomatic, Hal Richmond, here and the research director of the company, John Garcia. Hi, guys. How are you? Thanks for joining us. No, glad to be here. Thanks. Hal, um, let me start with you um, here. Take me back. What did you, why did you create Stratomatic? I was a uh, frustrated athlete. I, I was a very ordinary athlete. I guess you would call me an intramural and uh, but I, I just loved this one. I played baseball when I was very young, and uh, it was my way of uh, of connecting with the sports. I mean, I played I played all the sports, baseball and ba- basketball primarily, some football. You know, I never really excelled. So when I was about 11 years old, I was playing a game that uh, I called All Star Baseball, but it was not satisfying. It wasn't that accurate. And also, uh, the game only measures one thing, hitting. So if you had a great pitcher, say like Walter Johnson or Sandy Koufax, they had all stars, uh, he was ready for his hitting by his pitching. So at 11, I, I basically uh, put, uh, came up with a, with a game. And uh, in order to, with dice, in order to uh, make it uh, as accurate as possible, I rolled the dice 5,000 times to create a dice probability table. At that point, you know, I was able to then create some baseball cards. They were very much different than they are today. I mentioned hitting and, and pitching. Uh, there was no today. The game measures almost everything except the popcorn. So it was it was the beginning, though. It was the beginning of learning my craft, creating board games. And uh, it was uh, when I was age 22. Uh, I was I did uh, made made an effort to try to get my game in, into the market. I had a baseball game, a basketball game, uh, also a football game, and uh, a non-sports game. And I did uh, what I did do with my mother, who was the real estate business, uh, indicated that she had a client who was who was a toy bar. I went over to his house, and uh, we spent a lot of time together, over three hours. And he was he was very knowledgeable, and he, he looked at all my products, and he eventually said, "You have a lot of talent, but..." games that are not as playable as they should be. And so I w- went back, and I grabbed a pair of dice, or lucky, I grabbed several dice. 
And I kept on rolling and rolling, and all of a sudden it hit me that the game could be played in a different way with three dice instead of two, uh, with, the, with one die being read separately from the other two dice. And that began uh, at, at age 22, a game that would hit the market when I was age 25 in 1961. And, uh, you know, the rest is uh, history. The early years were very difficult, but uh, I was able to survive, and eventually, by 1963, I knew how to do it properly uh, from a publicity point of view, promotional point of view, and also what the fans wanted. They wanted an entire set of teams. There were 16 teams then. My, my, the two first two products that Stratomatic had, the first product was only 80 teams that had both our sets with, uh, with uh, a couple of top teams in additional. And the 120 teams that expanded it a bit, but still wasn't what they wanted. They wanted uh, all 16 teams. And so in 1960. The 1963 set was the first set that had that. How did you get access to the types of statistical information that you would need to try to make this as accurate as possible? Well, initially, the only thing that was available was official statistics. And also, there was a problem there because they didn't come out so much. And uh, that was all right when I did the 80 and the 120 player set. So when I had to do the the 320 players, 16 teams, it was a problem. It was a tremendous job. And I went to Alliance Bureau, the famous Seymour Swires, who passed away uh, in the last, last year. And Seymour was, Seymour was a very interesting man. He, he, got, he felt he was the guardian, he was the guardian of the, of the baseball statistics. And he was very reluctant to give it to outsiders. So I called him up and, uh, you know, he was very, very uh, difficult to speak to initially, and and then he, he I told him I would pay him for it, and I would pay twenty five dollars to see the the statistics and be able to get the statistics from you in January. He said, "All right, kid, don't forget this. Come on over, and I'll give them to you." I came over there out to Fifth Avenue, and uh, where they were where were these friends, the, the, the organization still remains. And I started talking to him, and he, 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 he was really a nice guy. He had a, a very difficult out, 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 outside reach to people. But he, was, he, he said, all right, you can have some nothing. Don't worry about it. And he let me look at, let me copy statistics and, and take them home and work with them in, in January. And that was enabled me to come out with the statistics uh, in March. Uh, the problem, at that time, the game was a basic game. So all it needed was the... Uh, of all the all I needed were the official statistics. Uh, some of the I, I did a lot of reading, obviously, to try to get the baseball fielding ratings right, but it was all the official statistics. In 1971, we came out with the advanced game, and the advanced game needed uh, needed lefty righty statistics, for instance, and, and and many other things. And uh, at that point, you know, Stratomatic was uh, in, in business since 1960. It went 10 years. And we, what we did, we, we, after the first couple of years, we actually created the lefty righty statistics ourselves by going through the box scores of all the games and, and, and getting that information. And of course, we got a lot of other information to give us a rating for other, for other, other, uh, characteristics of the players. And so uh, we, we kept on adding as we went along. Finally, uh, finally there, w- there was, there was a, uh, a company uh, that came out that was collecting box scores, and we 
we worked with them and we were able to get back source uh, uh, lefty righty uh, without any difficulty at that point. It was tough though in the old time of season, and initially we were going for the box scores on, you know, for instance, we did the 1911 season, which is the oldest season we ever did by hand. By when I made my that, we actually went right to the box scores. It took you know, almost two years of work to do it, and uh, someone we had an individual who, who became very much an expert in that area. He pulled all the LFD writing information out, and uh, eventually the stats were there. And we were able to get them in the future, you know, after, I guess in the, in the, in the 80s. It would probably be the late 80s statistics that had become available. John, let, let me get your just overview of, of the game. Um, clearly, this was way ahead of its time as it has links to fantasy sports. It has links to analytics. It's prior to Bill James being part of the Boston Red Sox. Um, can you just kind of describe as you work with the modern version of this, what this has meant to sports? Of course. Yeah. So like you said, Genomatic was kind of almost the founder of sabermetrics in that people who played the game recognize what statistics such as on base percentage meant to building a lineup and, and how important that was to players, um, which didn't really get to major league baseball until, um, many years later in, in Oakland first. Um, but it has affected how, um, how many people are, how people view baseball players itself, how one of the statistics that, that you mentioned was that 40% of executives at one point of baseball executives have played Stratomatic. <laughs> it's just clearly uh, an indication of what Stratomatic, you know, the, the thought process behind playing it or what it, what it brings you so obviously there's an opportunity here um with simulation um and people inside and they are looking for outlets and there is at time of this taping no professional sports going on and we'll see when they come back um how are you all trying to position stratomatic to get it to the forefront for people to either uh like in my case you know get back together with it and re-engage with it or to expose it to a new audience Sure. So, um, you know, there's so many people who played Stratomatic previously, and some of them don't, you know, they played it as kids, and they grew up, they had families, and they just kind of lost touch with the game. And now that we're running this sim, and it's quite a terrible thing that what's going on in the world, and unfortunately, you know, we're all craving baseball. We miss, can't wait for Major League Baseball to return. But um, what we're doing, at least with this sim, um, we're hopefully just getting baseball back to people who are, are missing it. And you know, people who played Stratomatic as a kid, they're, they're finding it again. And, and new people who just are missing baseball, either so they, they play fantasy, they just love watching their favorite team every day. Uh, you know, Stratomatic is giving them an opportunity to, uh, to watch and, and play their, their favorite game. Hal, how do you how do you view competition through the years? Because w- when you started this game, it was original, it was unique. Uh, there really was nothing like it for people like me, who I think were a lot like you, that really wanted to deep dive into the sport itself. Now you've got video games, you've got esports, you've got fantasy sports, you've got the internet. Um, how have you kind of viewed staying competitive with Stratomatic through the years? Well, you're right. Initially, the only competition was the board game. And uh, we moved to the forefront very quickly. I would say by the year uh, 
66-67, it became the number one game, board game, uh, personality board game, right? Are you utilizing players? I said, hey, you're right. I mean, there, there, there's a tremendous competition. And what we have done, we've created a niche for ourselves. We, uh, we do more work on, on the, uh, creating the ratings and things like that, uh, for the, for the, for each player. Uh, we do a lot of reading. We go we use statistics. Uh, we have uh, we really go into it in great depth, and people recognize this. So there is there is uh, a certain realism to our game that you won't find with the other products, and as as uh, as, uh, as as to what describing the player's actual ability. We do have we have uh, reached out. Of going from in the 1986, we began to uh, create. Computer games, and today we have a, a very, uh, a very, uh, very astute uh, baseball Windows game uh, that is. Uh, it can be played at three different levels, like our board game, a basic. We're not not basic, but two levels: advanced and super advanced. And uh, there's quite a bit you can do with it. It's really amazing what you can do with it. Uh, and then, of course, we have a game on the internet where you can, uh, uh, which uh, is, I guess, competing with fantasy. Which you uh, you can play you can play in leagues you can play in leagues on the internet against uh, opponents. So we have uh, you know, but we we have a, a tremendous following. We have many players who play our games fifty years or more, which is really something. Uh, and uh, they 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 are they are very much uh, uh, you know avid avid fans, and they and, and it's been a, they've kept this going for all these years. And you know, here we are going into next year will be our sixtieth year. And that's, it's unusual for a company to make it to the 25th. So here we are. We've been up to against a lot, you know, a lot of major companies. Uh, uh, but we, we still we still exist. And, uh, and more than exist, we still are, are very, uh, very competitive, particularly in our niche. Uh, the, the thing about our niche is that the bigger companies really can't come to do some of the work we do because it's not worth their time. They can't get enough of a return on it. But we don't need to sell a million games to... To make to make uh to make it profitable, we can sell much 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 less and be profitable, and they cannot be. So this is an initiative we feel that's important. It really is for the diehard game, diehard fans. Although I must say, in our board game, we have a basic version for the kids, which happens to be an excellent way of teaching kids math. Uh, and we we have a really an elementary game for the kids for that and that for that feature. But even playing our, our, our baseball our board game in, uh, on the basic level and the advanced level, uh, it's an excellent uh, teaching tool for kids. And it has been used in colleges, too. It was used once in the California area uh, for a university. There's a lot of course in it. Uh, really working on the probability, probability issue of it, uh, probabilities of players uh, where, the, where the game is set up. Um, John, I want to talk to you about the future of the game again. Um, so for me, when I think about it, um, I liked rolling the dice and holding the cards and moving the pieces. And I'm now old, um, as you kind of transition, what Stratomatic is for younger people, um, how do you envision, does the tactile part of this matter anymore? Does it all have to be mobile and online? How do you view what the future looks like for a game like this? Oh, absolutely. The board game is still really an important 
part of her, large part of her business. Sorry, John, but just we do, I would say 55% of our business is the computer and 45% is board game. Mm. So the board game is still, you know, we have other products too, basketball, hockey, and football, and college football. Uh, the board game still is, is uh, the baseball board game is still our best seller. Yeah, so that board game, you know, it'll never go away. It will be our, our flagship product. But um, expanding to get the game to kids, in addition to just the board game, that Windows game and our, Hal mentioned, our online Baseball 365 game, which is also on mobile. And, you know, we, we do, um, you know, recognize that a lot of kids are on apps and playing games. We've, we've been coming out with, a few apps over the past year or so, and we'll be coming out with some more in the future. And, you know, we, we have moved to where people are, you know, to other platforms where people are, are finding us. It's not just the board game. All right, I'll let you go with this. Um, Hal, you're, you're, you're a purist. You love the game. You love the stats. Um, I got to know, are, are you angry at the Houston Astros for, for what they did a couple of years ago? Well, let me, that's a very, yes or no. Let's remember that baseball has had a very questionable fan. <laughs> in the 1890s, I'm going back to before everyone's time, uh, there was a man named John McGraw, who was a great manager, a manager of the Hall of Fame. And John McGraw played with the Baltimore Orioles. And so did a man named Hugh Jennings, who also became a manager. And they were both were very fine players. And what they would do, the grass was always kept very high at Baltimore. They would plant balls in the outfield. And so when a ball would be hit out there, Instead of going for the ball that was hit, they'd pick up the ball that was in the grass and throw it in and, and hold the front of the first base <laughs> or, second or, or, or reduce the, the triple to a double. And things like that happened all the time. I mean, uh, the pitching, you know, was, everything was legal pitching. I used hand paper. They used everything in the, before 1920. So, uh, and then, of course, you had, you know, you had problems in 1919, which everyone knows about. And there were problems way before that, though, with with with, uh, with throwing games, etc. And even in the night, late twenties, it was rumored that Cobb and Speaker, two of the greatest players of all time, uh, were questionable in certain games. But it was never it never followed through. Thank goodness. So there have always been problems. Uh, and uh, I guess Pete Rose is the last of these problems in a sense. I'm very sure. I can't say I, I don't. I can't prove it. But other teams do this also. That has been done uh, over the years. And it was rumored that Bobby Thompson's home run off round Franklin would tip off from, from the scoreboard out in center field. So, you know, it, it's been going on for a long time. But it is, a, it, you know, it, you know, it is, a, uh, you know, once talking to a very uh, famous basketball player and talking about taking drugs uh, and, and making you a better player, which, you know, which Bob Barry Bonds did. And I, and we said, we talked to him about this, and he said to us, you know, it's a competitive world sport. If I could get a drug that would make me six inches taller and keep the same ability, I would take it. And so they're always, that's why you have to have uh, controls, because there's always going to be problems if everyone wants to get ahead, and they'll do it any way they can. And if you don't have supervision, and, and supervision from an independent authority or authority above the, the players and, and, and the manage, and the management, uh, there's going to be problems. And this was a problem. It was a terrible thing that was done. Uh, it, it really was. And it was a shame. Uh, but uh, this is uh, this has to be policed. And they have to, they were, 
they were punished, and uh, uh, and I hope it, I hope this might stop it. But they realize, particularly baseball, which baseball of all the sports is considered the American game uh, from the get-go, and it's the game, the game of purity, and we have to keep these things out as much as possible. Here's the good news about Stratomatic. It's almost impossible to cheat in it. John Garcia is the <laughs> research director, and Hal Richman is the founder of, in my opinion, humbly, maybe the greatest board game that's ever been created. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm Up next, Hannah Kaiser from Yahoo Sports will tell us if the robots are getting pushed back thanks to COVID-19. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3 Advance. So let's take a moment to thank our friends at 3 Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers. Their user experience and cloud expertise has helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups, including Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy. So if you're looking for a development partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen, and advance you will. That's the number 3advance.com, and tell them Future Sports sent you. So remember when they were using robot umpires in minor league baseball and there was likely going to be an expanded rollout of that. And then the eventuality is it's going to be in the major leagues. Well, we need to get baseball back first, but that plan hasn't been completely derailed yet. Let's welcome in Hannah Kaiser from Yahoo Sports, who wrote a piece about the robot umpires. Hey, Hannah, how are you? Well, you know, all right, given the circumstances. <laughs> uh, you know, at least you're laughing about it at this point. It's hard to find the humor in it. Um, as far as the robots go, uh, where are we? I mean, uh, clearly nothing can happen until sports come back, uh, comes back. But, but where are we right now in terms of what was perceived to be a rollout of an expansion of robot umpires? So we actually left off with a little bit of ambiguity. There was, in addition, um, increasing their presence in the minor leagues this year. That last year was the Atlantic League with all the experimental rules, and this year it's supposed to move to the minors. But in addition to that, there was supposed to be um, some robot umpire testing in spring training. So there weren't going to be using them to call games, but they were going to be simultaneously running the program while spring training games were going as a way to kind of like gauge how well it was working. Now, what I do not know <laughs> is exactly where that left off. It was taking place in Florida, as far as my reporting was. As far as I was able to report out, it was taking place in Florida. It was taking place um, at the Cardinals facility, I think, at least there. I don't know if there were other places, but they were being a little bit secretive around letting me come look at it or check it. I actually know if they got that off the ground before spring training shut down. So, so there was supposed to be a... a, a fairly dramatic uptick in, if not use, then at least sort of testing and and figuring out um, how to move it from this experimental testing ground of the Atlantic League into actual affiliated baseball. So we're somewhere in there. That's where we we are as baseball is on hold, is somewhere around 
trying to make that leap from just being in the Atlantic League to being um, used in games that are actually uh, like governed by Major League Baseball. I mean, listen, ba- uh, you know, being that they're not giving you a ton of information and clearly there's no baseball going on right now, the real tricky part here is even if the majors come back, we don't know if minor league baseball is coming back this year. Um, I I don't know how they continue this, you know, at least for this year, clearly this is going to happen, but, but for this year, it seems like it is really put on hold. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the minor leagues, people at MLB are still saying they haven't made a decision and that they would never force the minor leagues to play. And that, you know, it's, it's always going to be up to what's actually safe and what the health standards are. However, just personally, this is not based on reporting. I don't see how they do that. It's, it's such a huge, I mean, one of the big factors is if, if Major League Baseball comes back, it's going to be like such a undertaking. And, and even then, they probably won't be able to have fans. That's a big thing. Everyone knows they might not have fans. Now, there's almost no reason to have minor league baseball if you don't have fans because they're not televised. They're not. You know, it's not, unfortunately, like that's going to be the thing that brings the country together in the way that they're kind of hoping Major League Baseball will. So just personally, I, aside from the value it provides, you know, Major League teams in terms of depth and in terms of um, getting their players reps and looks, I don't, I can't imagine that they would undertake any kind of like, big sweeping programs like they would have to to get Major League Baseball running for the sake of getting minor league baseball running. So yeah, I think I think we're, we're kind of not making any progress on the robot umps this year. At least in terms of um, like what the public can see or know about as far as progress. I'm sure that at some point when they're not diverting all, you know, baseball and also scientific resources to solving the coronavirus pandemic, we will get people at Major League Baseball talking about robot umpires again and talking about what they would need to do. One of the things that I thought was interesting was that um, as part of some early reports around like the Arizona plan and the sort of biodome plan, it sounded like a lot of people were like, well, if they're going to do this weird shortened season, they should experiment with all sorts of things, including robot umpires. And it sounds like they wouldn't be ready for that. So it's not like, it's not like they're waiting in the wings and the reason we're not going to see them is because there's no baseball. They they are still very much perfecting the system and figuring out exactly how to integrate it anyway. And so probably this pushes us back a couple of years. Although I'm sure they'll figure out a way to make some progress on the actual technical side at some point. From what you know, because you wrote about there were kinks in the system. When you say there are kinks in the system so far, what are you referring to? So I guess I'm getting what I'm getting at is from what you know to this point, where are the issues that they need to clear up before they could literally roll something like this out? I think a lot of it has to do with standardizing the strike zone. Um, so now we're talking way back in terms of reporting, but I went last year to see it, to see the, what was then TrackMan and what might not be TrackMan going forward, but the robot umpires that they had in the Atlantic League. Um, and the problems they were having there were around like um, strike zones that were, because the strike zone actually sort of has to be flexible, you know, the idea that the whole point of robot umpires is that the strike zone won't be too flexible. It won't be flexible in a way that makes it long, but you do need it to be a little bit flexible in terms of like, um, if you always call pitches by the book, you're sometimes calling pitches that like cross into the strike zone, but are like just hitting the corner at the last thing, or, you know, like the catcher is sort of catching it in a way that causes it to cross the strike zone, but it wouldn't look like a strike. And so, 
Um, I'm having a hard time explaining that in a way that's like makes it sound like a flaw, not a. Yeah, I mean, if they, it, the catchers framing pitches have gamed up real umpires for years. So I, I think but, I, I get exactly just, what you're saying. But not just in a way that's like, oh, we need to sort of smooth out this human error. I think it's more in a way that like it was like, oh, a pitch could sort of like be diving and catch just the bottom corner of a strike zone in like a way that that was not actually like that shouldn't be a strike. And if you watch the game, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's a terrible yeah. call. And throw the ball, you'd be like, that's the ball. Um, and so that's, that's the sort of like baseball side that needs to be worked out as far as I know. And then I think also um, the actual technology having enough safeguards in place that this wouldn't glitch at the wrong time or miss a call at the wrong time or like, um, you know, like blackout if there was a, like a, you know, like a two second power. So I think, I think there's the like baseball, we need to figure out exactly how flexible and smooth or, or sort of hard and rigid the strike zone needs to be. And then I'm sure there's way more stuff that I don't actually know about on the side that is like, what does this rollout look like? How many fail safes do you need? How many, how many backup programs do you need to, to have it going in 15 stadiums a night for four months? Oh, man, if there was ever a time to roll something like this out, it's the time of social distancing, but they're just not quite ready yet. Yeah. So we'll see. Hannah Kaiser from Yahoo Sports, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, happy to. That will do it for us this week. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.